Well, hello. We are zipping right through 2 Corinthians, and we are in chapter 9, and hope to get through chapter 9 and 10. Uh, it's, uh, it's all of a piece after we hit chapter 10. So chapter 9 goes a lot with the earlier two chapters in that it's about giving. There were critical needs for the Jewish people and for the newly formed Christian people. Um, I could go into all the history of this, but if you've listened to the Revelation series that I did, one of the first things out of the box actually last, um, what would that have been, around January of this year, 2021, you've, uh, you've heard a lot about the persecution and you can read in the books of First and Second Peter about that as well. There were people losing their jobs already uh, there were people being uh, discriminated against, and there was a lot of poverty. Plus, there was just a lot of poverty that came in waves, no matter what your religion was during these days. Uh, whenever there's to be a failed harvest, a bit of drought, a bit of flood, an earthquake, it is very geologically active there. Uh, there were no aid societies to come in. There was no Red Cross. There was no disaster relief um, churches running in to save you. Therefore, you had to help yourselves. You had to form your own communities. And I often do wonder when I hear on the radio, perhaps, or see on the television, local news, that somebody has lost their house and they've lost everything in it. I, I wonder, how do, how do people like this survive if you don't have a church, if you don't have a community built around you? Well, even when your community is around you, if they're also poor, and affected by the same things that you are, that will uh, cause issues. And so already in the early church, in the first century, they are calling upon churches far afield to gather money as best they can, material as best they can, and be ready for emissaries from the poorest places to come and get it. Now here in chapter nine, they're gonna talk about that and we'll, we'll go over it a bit, but we need to stress something here. Back then, you did not go to church once a week and put something in a passing plate. Uh, I've heard an awful lot of people use passages in Corinthians that we'll look at uh, and say that that's one of the acts of worship that required when we gather together. It is an act of worship. It's very much an act of worship. I think, in fact, giving is an underrated act of worship. But it was not considered something you did in public as a tree passed, it was instead something that you prepared to do. And this is critical. This, we've got to get this if we want to understand the difference between what they thought church was and what we made church uh, throughout the millennia. Even those that claim to be restoring the New Testament church miss this one entirely merely because we're all creatures of culture. They don't do it because they're stupid or bad. It's we're all creatures of our culture and we tend to think that things that are are things that were. The, um, the giving, however, was very different. If you read through especially Leviticus and Deuteronomy, you will, uh, but, but all five books of the Torah, uh, you will find that the people were to lay aside privately in their home or it, it doesn't say in their home, but as, as each household lays aside, and then when the need comes, they bring all of that to the temple or to the tabernacle, or they deliver it to the priest for giving elsewhere. 
And so you'll hear in 2 Corinthians several times, Paul saying, be ready to give. Don't shame me because I've told them you're good givers. Well, how could they shame him uh, if it was just passing the plate? I guess it's possible, but they, they were very disciplined. There's a rule in finances that I wish I had followed, um, and that was pay yourself first. Now, we as Christians would say pay God first, but work with me here. That you are going to have bills and you're going to have obligations. But the first thing you need to realize is you have a responsibility to feed yourself and your family. For if you do not, then these other obligations will not be met. So any money that you get, 10% should go to you and savings. And then 10% should go to God. And then take care of the obligations. Now, if you don't have enough money to get rid of the obligations, that's when you need to go to a, um, a Dave Ramsey type of perhaps system. There are many out there. My favorite's actually done by a good friend of mine. His name's Steve. And you can find him online at, um, see what is that? No debt, no sweat. And I, he does a great job of it. But there are so many, so many that'll help you do this. We need to lower our obligations, lower our debt, so that we can lay aside and be ready to worship God by saying, I trust God more than me, so I'm going to put this money in God's hands rather than myself. It was a uh, late-term artifact that brought us the passing plate, um, and it was not the first century. This is, um, why do we do it? I, I think because the church has become our community and we uh, we allowed it to manage our, our good works. In fact, in many ways, people will give on Sunday and attend and they'll try to be good people in the middle of the week. It's attendance and abstinence and then a little bit in the plate. And that way the church funds all the good works and the church funds all this other. But here's the thing, by the time they fund all the others, there's not that much of a pile because they've got to fund the professional Christians, the clergy, the ministry staff. Um, and I'm not opposed to that by any stretch. You know, I receive a salary. Our worship leader receives a part-time salary. We've got part-timers on our crew. Uh, so I'm not opposed to this. I'm just talking about reality. So by the time you paid for the building, air conditioners, maintenance, the lawn guy, uh, the, um, the electricity and all the utilities, then that's what that little pile left is what they would call then your pile to do good works with. But wait a minute, somebody needs that for more um, teacher supplies. Somebody needs that for, and you see what happens. In the modern American churches, including my own tribe, every survey shown has shown that only about one to 2% goes to benevolence. And that's of the gross. And it's about the same that goes to any mission work. But even then, mission work's farmed off to other people very often that we never meet. So giving, there's no personal touch with the giving. Now at our safe harbor, we demand on the personal touch. We only give to people and to groups that we know personally are doing good. And we do that with our members, not just here in Middle Tennessee, but wherever they are around the world. If they can talk to us and they let us know what's going on and that there's a need that we can touch, then we do everything we can to, get, to match what they're doing, the member is doing, 
or to help in some other way. So there's a personal touch. Um, last thing about this, before we take a real quick look at chapter 9 in 2 Corinthians, in case you lost the plot and think I had. Uh, I, there were a, a few years ago, I was on my own. I, I travel a lot. And during the day, uh, before COVID, you had to get out of your hotel room because at any moment, housekeeping swoops in. Uh, and therefore, you, you had to be out. So I would go out and I would uh, look at guitar shops and bookstores. But sometimes when I was just, there's nowhere else to go, I'd go see a movie. And I went to see Ford versus Ferrari, not thinking it was going to be worth that much. Uh, you know, I'm not a race guy. I love cars. But I, and my personal car is a four-year-old Nissan with 100,000 miles on it. But I love cars. I also have a slingshot, four years old, lots of miles on it. Um, but for, I don't, don't care for racing at all. Uh, no matter what form it is, except for the rally racing that's done on dirt roads through forest. I, that's kind of fun. Well, to watch, I, it'd be a terrible, terrifying thing to be in the car. But there's a scene in Ford versus Ferrari where they're, they're trying to push a more elegant, more cost-effective, and we can do this project. When the head of uh, the Ford Corporation, one of the Ford clan, uh, just is not, you know, he's looking upon this, this upstart and just going, ah, you know, Carol Shelby, who knows who that guy is? And whenever Shelby, the man says, we just don't have the money for that, uh, it just won't go. And Shelby looks at him and says, do you see that folder that man is holding? And the guy, he nods, yes. He said, I've seen that folder change hands four times before it got to him <clears throat> and before it got to you. You can cut out all of that <clears throat> and you'll have more money. Sorry. <clears throat> Let's assume this is a problem with your internet, <clears throat> when it's actually a problem with Patrick's allergies. Um, you can cut out all those middlemen. Well, the, uh, the giving in the Old Testament and the giving spoken of in the New Testament was done with no or with a bare minimum of middlemen. And they weren't throwing money into the ground. They weren't throwing money to the electric company. They were putting money directly toward the need much more efficient, much more efficient. Look at it this way. And I'm not opposed to government safety nets, so don't read this wrong. Add up all the money taken out of taxes and then uh, set aside for, uh, for safety nets, whether it's welfare, Medicare, Medicaid, <coughs> SSI, SNAP cards, whatever it is. Total it up. And then divide that by the population that receives these benefits. And you'll find that we could give them quite a few years worth of salary every year if it didn't have to filter through all of the government agencies first. That's the problem. And so be aware that giving in plates is a rather inefficient way of doing it. That said, you do need to give. And so if you've got a church that is leading you and feeding you, you need to give to them. And if you're watching our safe harbor as well, but your local church needs you, please invest in your local church. Please help them somehow. It doesn't have to be giving with money, but it could be time, could be your efforts, but whatever it is, giving's important, all right? 
And if we're your community, give to us. Um, it doesn't matter how you do that, by the way. Uh, we have different avenues to get the funds here, but it, if you don't have funds, you can give to us by praying for us, emailing us encouragement, by showing up to help us lift stuff that needs to be lifted at a, at a house or something we're trying to repair. There are so many ways to give, but giving's important. So, in chapter nine, Paul, I, I really think Paul's being a little bit facetious and pushy here. He goes, there's no need for me to write to you about this service, the Lord's people giving. For I know your eagerness to help. And I've been boasting about it to the Macedonians, telling them that since last year, you and Achaia were ready to give and your enthusiasm has stirred most of them to action. But I'm sending the brothers in order that our boasting about you in this matter should not prove hollow, but that you may be ready as I said you would be. Paul was uh, getting a little militant here. Um, for if any Macedonians come with me and find you unprepared, we, not to say anything about you, would be ashamed of having been so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to visit you in advance. You know, I, I don't, I'm sorry, but I just keep getting this picture of guys in, spin, in pinstripe suits carrying violin cases coming in the door saying, you got the money? Uh, sending the brothers to visit you in advance and finish the arrangement for the generous gift you had promised. Then it will be ready as a generous gift, not one grudgingly given. Oh my, did you know that there was so much human personality cooking through this thing? This is so human. And we would say too in your face, too pushy. But Paul has an excellent point here. There's going to be a need to give something's going to happen. That's why you pay yourself first. Something is going to happen. You're going to need to go into care. There's going to be illness. There's going to be a loss of a job. So be ready for that. And so what's going on here? He's saying, I want you to be able to give this generously with joy and not grudging. And the only way to do that is to get ready ahead of time. Get your funds ready, get your heart ready, start early. He goes, remember this, and now the warnings. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Each of you should give what you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, this may seem that Paul is being a little bit less than honest about his phraseology whenever he's going, no, no, we don't want it to be compulsive. Have you met the brothers? <laughs> uh, I, I think what he's trying to tell them to do is you need to learn that this is part of who we are and therefore it's part of your service. It's not an obligation. It's an opportunity. It's a blessing to do this. This is what we do. This is who we are. So remember the poor, be ready, and then you can be ever so excited when you can do it. Recently floods wiped out a community to the west of us, about an hour and a half, called Waverly. Now this is not a floodplain, so none of them had flood insurance, therefore nothing's covered, because other insurance does not cover floods. You have to get flood insurance through the federal government, 
and they would not sell it to people in Waverly because they haven't had floods. So this was a once in recorded history event. Suddenly floods came and literally wiped half the town off the map. What do you do? Well, uh, one of our local charities here who's run by dear friends of ours, and you want to talk about a lean machine. Uh, nobody's getting more than cost out of this. They are able to multiply giving. So they did a radiothon to raise some, some funds to help because they made an 18 to 24 month commitment to uh, help here. Because you see, the thing is when the television cameras leave, the aid people tend to leave and that's only a week or two later. And that's really tragic. So they're going, they were going to stay. Well, I got a call as I'm driving through Arkansas, heading to Little Rock to speak at Pleasant Valley Church of Christ. And my wife says, listen, it takes $2,500. They can, they can fill the semi. I've already told you the story. I'm going to tell you again. Uh, and can, can we do $2,500 as a church? And I said, absolutely. No, you need to understand. I don't do the finances. I don't follow them. I don't control them. We have a board. I'm completely hands off. But when she's saying, we got a board member here, he's saying he'd like to, what about you? I'm saying, get it, get him on board. And we bought one and eventually within an hour or so, we got a second one because members said, hey, personal touch, you see, we want money going there. Many of you online did that as well. You need to know that money was not shuttled elsewhere. It was reserved for the poor, and for this, this relief effort, for um, the hurricane that came into Louisiana and other, any other efforts that are coming up in the next month or so, we've got this ready to roll because of you. That's what Paul's saying. Be those people. Be like that. Don't be who you are. Be those people. And it took me years to learn this. Oh my. I, I was not a generous person. Although I was faithful in giving, I wasn't generous. And I, I did not relish it. So if you're struggling with it, we get it. We're not calling you out. We're not being mean to you. You are a fine brother or sister in Christ. We're just telling you it, it's a lot more fun when you get to this place. It really is. Uh, and then it, he's, he's saying, listen, some of the reasons why we don't give is because we don't trust the giver, God. We, we operate from this scarcity mindset. And he's saying, no, no, no. Your generosity will be, will be rewarded by God. Now, don't warp this into some sort of prosperity gospel, where if you give God 100, he's going to bless you with 500. I hear that. Those, that horrible teaching it is widespread in poor countries, in Africa and Asia, and in poor communities in the U.S. and down through Central and South America. It's a false hope. It's a lottery ticket. It's... It's wrong. He, he's just saying, as Jesus said, God will supply your needs and God will take care of you as you go through life and as you leave this life. He will, he will supply everything you really need. And most of us have what we need and more. Even poor people have clothes they've not worn in a while, toys not played with, um, channels on the cable they've never watched. We have abundance, even, well, I'll leave it. Um, but saying you're not, never gonna outgive God, so be more like God in being given, giving people.
But then a huge switch takes place here. But I'm glad you hung with me because here's where we get to a dramatic shift. Evidently, some people in Corinth have been making more accusations against Paul and his character. So he says, by the humility and gentleness of Christ, please remember the style of speaking he's already been using. So instead of going, oh, you ought to be going, uh, I appeal to you, Paul, who am timid, timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you went away. Now, there are no, um, there are no punctuation marks, no quotation marks, none of that in the original scripts or in the early manuscripts at all. So you could read this Paul who's kind of timid when I'm with you, but when I'm away, I'm more bold. That does not fit the context. It does not fit what's going on between Paul and Corinth, and it doesn't fit Paul. He's saying, you call me timid when I'm with you. You see, they, they mistake his grace and love for timidity and weakness. Don't do that. Then you say, when I'm away, I'm bold. I beg you that when I come, I may not have to be as bold as I expect to be towards some people who think we live by the standards of this world. In other words, all right, you think I'm bold when away? You have no idea what's coming when I come back. And then you will see bold. I've seen people make this mistake repeatedly. I preach love and grace and such, and sometimes people will say something to me which is not right and needs to be pushed back on. And when I do, it's all like, up, up, up. You have, uh, no, 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 you're, you know. No, do not confuse love with weakness. Do not confuse gentleness with timidity. Gentleness is a choice, and it comes a great sacrifice to the person who is being gentle. And they can always pull that back and step forward. I have met some of the most gentle, soft-spoken individuals in my life, only to find out they were special operations. Army, Marine, Navy, uh, even, a, I, even a, a para-jumper in the Air Force, one of the, the best of the best of the best of the best. He didn't know it. Met a man once stocking potato chips on a grocery aisle here, and I, we just struck up a conversation. He saw from my shirt that um, I, it was a, a, a law enforcement training shirt. And she go, he says, who do you train? And I told him, and he's, he said, have you ever trained us? And I said, who's us? And he's on the bomb squad of the sheriff's department here in one of the biggest, uh, most populated counties in Tennessee. He's, a sh he's on the bomb squad and he's having to make extra money stacking chips on grocery shelves. That seemed awfully wrong to me, but it also revealed once again, you never know who you're walking by. You have no idea. And Paul's saying, yeah, we live in a world. We don't wage war like they do in the world. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine, our, our weapons have divine power to demolish strongholds. 
In other words, I'm coming for your castles. And these are not physical castles, obviously. These are attitudes. These are puffed up attitudes. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ and we will be ready to punish every act of disobedience once your obedience is complete. Uh, I need to confess to you that last uh, verse 6, I cannot make that make sense without a little bit of gymnastics in my head. And I've read and I've read and I've checked and I've checked and I see other people doing different gymnastics, but I'm not sure what it means to be ready to punish every act of obedience once your obedience is complete. I would have thought that'd be the other way around. So I'm not going to pretend like I know. All right, I'm moving on. You are judging by appearances, he said. If anyone is confident that they belong to Christ, they should consider again that we belong to Christ just as much as they do. In other words, you might want to think this again before you pick a fight. Even, so even if I boast somewhat freely about the authority that God gave us for building you up rather than tearing you down, I won't be ashamed of it. And again, we have to reverse engineer this text, but it is rather obvious when we do that consistently through that there were then some saying, he likes to throw about that he has authority from God. He's too proud. So he's too timid and too proud at the same time. That's the thing about accusations. When you're hurling accusations at people, you don't need to be consistent. You just need to hurt them. And that's what happens. If you don't believe it, spend 10 minutes on Twitter and then get some eye bleach. Some say his, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, he's unimpressive and his speaking amounts to nothing. <laughs> All right, physically, Paul was unimpressive. We have a couple of early descriptions of Paul, and I think they're probably accurate, but they might not be. If we take them as written, Paul was short, bald, had a hooked nose, stooped-shouldered, and his voice had a bit of a whine to it. Paul very often talks about that his voice wasn't good and that he did not have physical strength. So yeah, unimpressive. He seems really smart and then you get to see him and you're going, no. So Paul says such people should realize that what we are in our letters when we are absent will be interactions when we are present. In other words, over there, he's really mean. He, he talks a good fight. And he's all strong, and then he comes, and Paul says, I'm, I'm bringing that with me next time. We do not dare to classify or compare ourselves with some who commend themselves. In other words, I'm not going to compare with those that are accusing me, because they're too busy commending themselves. When they measure themselves by themselves and compare themselves with themselves, they're not wise. May I? There are um, a lot of people out there that'll say, I think this way, every good and reasonable person thinks this way, every thoughtful person thinks this way. Those of us together, all of my friends, we have agreed that this is what we, you're measuring yourself by yourself as you measure yourself. This is the whole point behind the Monday morning message series on who told you about. I've had friends that told me, 
that they, lit, that they had friends, that they said, listen to these messages. But when they heard the two about elders, the people were going, oh, no, no, we can't do that. We can't do that. When pressed, they had zero answer to where do you get this doctrine to begin with? Who told you that? Who told them that? Who told them that? But they could not get away from, no, no, no that's, this is the way. Almost like the Mandalorian. This is the way. Can't be questioned. They measured themselves by themselves and compared themselves with themselves and said, yep, we're right. All denominations do this. Political parties do it, but also so do subgroups. Uh, this, you know, you'll find this group over here saying, no, we're, we're gender fluid. You have to treat us this way because we've all decided this is reality and this is the way it's supposed to be over here. You'll have some people say, no, you're not, doesn't work. And they compare themselves by themselves. All right, why don't we just get together, figure out the, um, the chromosomes, the genes, what's the DNA behind all of this? What's the culture behind it? We can't, we can't have a discussion, not with the left nor the right, because they compare themselves with themselves and they measure themselves by themselves. Remember second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 12. That's pretty awesome, all right? We, however, will not boast beyond proper limits. We'll confine our boasting to the sphere of service. In other words, I'm not gonna you know, just keep boasting. I'm just gonna tell you, here's what I do. God himself has assigned to us a sphere that also includes you, the Gentiles. We are not going too far in our boasting as would be the case if we had not come to you. And we did get as far with, with at, we did get as far as you with the gospel of Christ. In other words, um, we could have not done it, but we did get all the way over to you. See, once again, people in Corinth were saying, we're safe because he's so far away. He's saying, I got to you once. I remember how we got there. Neither do we go beyond our limits by boasting of work done by others. Our hope is that as your faith continues to grow, our sphere of activity among you will greatly expand so that we may preach the gospel in the regions beyond you. you know, you're blocking us. Your behavior is keeping us from being able to reach people because we have to keep coming back and fixing you. That's, that's very, very blunt. And here's the thing. Paul refers to an earlier harsh letter. In other words, he didn't consider this one harsh. Wow, kind of glad we don't get all the mail. Anyway, um, let, but in verse 17, as he ends it, but let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And that's quotation out of Jeremiah. Uh, for it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. Why don't we appeal this to God and see what God says? Well, chapter 11 is more of the same but even more powerful because Paul opens up about his personal sufferings and we won't have time to do that because we're over 30 minutes right now but I'm recording all of these uh, well this one and the next two I hope today so every Wednesday you come back um, you're you're gonna see probably the same shirt or you're gonna see the same view and that's why but I hope you're enjoying these Thank you so much for loving on us at Our Safe Harbor as you do. Thank you for the gifts you give us, whether they are prayers or funds or service. 
it just or, or happy emails all of these things matter to us very deeply may god bless you and i really look forward to picking this one up again next week